The new regulations by CMS and the OIG for value-based arrangements provide greater opportunities for collaboration and integration without fair market value requirements. However, can we really throw fair market value out the window? Captain Integrity Productions is excited to announce Bob Wade has joined the Tier 1 ranked national law firm of Nelson Mullins. But we are still Stark Integrity. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Today, I am going to revisit value-based arrangements, but really focus in on the mistakes that can be made under value-based arrangements and the result of those mistakes. And they could be deadly with respect to compliance with both the Stark Law and the anti-kickback statute. And if you want a deeper dive into value-based arrangements, I strongly encourage you to listen to the Stark Integrity episode that was recorded on November 16, 2021, titled Value-Based Arrangements, the Stark Law AKS Requirements. And that will give you a greater context of what is required by CMS and the OIG to fit within the Stark Law exception, as well as the safe harbors under the anti-kickback statute. Now, at its core, and what's beautiful about the value-based arrangements is that it encourages integration and collaboration amongst providers. And here I'm going to use the context of hospitals and physicians, but it doesn't have to only be hospitals and physicians. It can actually be collaboration and integration amongst many different types of providers. But for simplicity in this episode, I'm going to be focusing in on collaboration issues with respect to hospitals and physicians. And so there are basic requirements that must be met. And as we all know, under the Stark Law, if the referrals are actually going to, be refer- going to be received by physicians and the intent is to enter into a value-based arrangement, then you must fit squarely within an exception. And obviously, the exception we're driving toward is the value-based arrangement exception. But if you make one of these deadly mistakes then you have to flip over into one of the other types of compensation arrangements which require fair market value. And that's the reason why I title this episode Six Deadly Mistakes in Value-Based Activities and Arrangements under the Stark Law and the Anti-Kickback Statute. So just as a quick refresher course, 
that in order to fit within the exception, and here I'm going to focus on the exception, there are some nuances, as the earlier episode indicated, for the safe harbors under the anti-kickback statute. But first off, you have to have a value-based enterprise, which requires two or more participants to uh, be involved in the oversight and the management of the value-based arrangement. And that it has to provide at least one value-based activity, which are actions by the value-based enterprise in order to meet one of the required value-based purposes. Now, the value-based purposes include the following, coordinating and managing the care, number two, improving the quality of care, number three, appropriately reducing the cost or growth in the cost of care without reducing quality of care, And number four, transitioning from fee-for-service payment mechanisms to value-based payment mechanisms. And those have to be targeted toward a specific patient population. Uh, And as I indicated previously, you can define that population. Um, But again, go through my previous episode where I talk a little bit about the population, the patient population. But just... To provide some clarity on that issue, it can be based upon payer, it can be based upon a medical condition, it can be based upon a zip code or just a a certain medical condition or a, a targeted specialty. So you can be creative, but you have to define what that value based purpose is and have it targeted specific to that patient population. And as I have noted previously, There is no fair market value requirement that is targeted toward the services that are being provided through the value-based enterprise related to that patient population for that value-based activity. So as long as you are meeting the standards and the compensation is deemed to be commercially reasonable under one of the types of value-based arrangements, then the compensation does not have to meet what I call the granddaddy of them all, and that's the fair market value requirement. But if, if you don't meet all of the requirements under the exception, under the Stark Law, then the entire arrangement and the entire compensation that is paid to those physicians no longer meets the value-based compensation exception, and you have to fall back into the service exceptions under the Stark Law and all of the services will require to meet the fair, a fair market value threshold under one of the various compensation exceptions. So now I've given the background to value-based arrangements. So let's get into the purpose of this episode. And this is to identify six deadly mistakes that can be made with respect to the attempt to create and monitor a value-based arrangement. Let me give you an example. Uh, So the the reason why this is so important, and I'll just give you the example of a lug nut. A lug nut in a car is essential for the car to operate. Uh, You can build a beautiful Lamborghini by way of example, but if the lug nuts to the tires do not hold, then the tires will fall off, and that beautiful Lamborghini will not be able to be driven. So the same is here. This, the value-based arrangement exception is a beautiful exception by the government to try to encourage integration, collaboration, and coordination. 
But if you do not build the value-based arrangement appropriately, then like lug nuts, the compliance issues representing the lug nuts, if those fall off, then the car cannot be driven. And that's what flips it over to one of the fair market value uh, service exceptions under the Stark Law. Okay, so mistake number one is the governing authority. As I indicated, that it needs to have a value-based enterprise. And it must have this governing body, so obviously it requires two or more people to provide oversight to the value-based activities to ensure that the value-based purposes are met. And if you fail to provide that oversight, it will result in noncompliance with the exception. And one of the biggest issues, by way of example, under the governing authority is if the value-based enterprise uh, governing body or authority does not meet at least annually and document the fact that they have met annually and provided the oversight with respect to the monitoring of the value-based activities, then you fail that component. So it's essential that there is documentation with respect to the value-based enterprise governing authority meeting at least annually. Deadly mistake number two is if the enterprise fails to meet legitimate and verifiable criteria regarding the value-based activity. So in order to monitor the value-based purposes, as I've previously indicated, then you have to evaluate the activities to ensure that the activities, as it relates to the targeted patient population, can be met, and if they cannot be met, that they are modified or tweaked in order to ensure the continued viability of the value-based enterprise in order to meet the established value-based purposes. So it's okay to go ahead and modify uh, the criteria in order to, as I'm going to talk about the Lamborghini again, to fine-tune the car. But if you fail to actually monitor those activities or do not establish appropriate requirements to meet those value-based activities, then you will have a, a problem in meeting this exception. So let me give you an example. Let's assume that you're trying to do a value-based activity around the management of diabetes. And let's say that uh, you establish criteria, medical criteria, in order to the, evaluate the improvement of, let's say, compliance with respect to a certain patient population. Uh, but if that criteria for the diabetes management and monitoring is not appropriately established in order to evaluate the compliance by the patient population, so let's say like every six months at least the patient has to be checked uh, for compliance. And if that is not performed, then that would not meet this criteria. And again, then this, would, this activity would fall outside of uh, the exception. Next one is the target patient population. So this is the deadly mistake number three that if you establish a target patient population, then you need to monitor the activities within that population and not expand the population. So let's say that you're targeting the Medicare population for a certain disease state. And somehow within the meeting of the criteria that's established, you bleed in 
Medicaid patients. Now you have expanded the patient population, and I guess here's the end result, that if you expand the patient population, it's possible that the compensation that will be received is more likely to be achieved through the expansion of that patient population. So that's the reason why this exception requires that there be adherence to an established patient population as you're setting up the criteria and a monitoring of that criteria. So that, that's deadly mistake number three. Deadly mistake number four focuses in on the value-based purpose. And this is somewhat connected with the legitimate and verifiable criteria to evaluate. So one is focusing in on, so this is deadly mistake number two that I talked about, is focusing on the establishment of criteria. And deadly mistake number four is focusing in on the purposes, just making sure that those purposes are consistent with the purposes as defined by the government, which is the coordination of care, uh, the improving of quality, reduction of cost, transition from production to value-based compensation arrangements. And just to emphasize, one of the purposes cannot be to increase referrals. So if through establishing of the criteria to meet the value-based purpose is inappropriate to meet one of the objectives under this exception, then the arrangement can fall outside of compliance. So, for example, if one criteria is intended either directly or indirectly to increase production, withhold medically necessary services, increase the cost of care, or is focusing in on referrals, then by establishing those purposes, that would be a deadly mistake under this exception. Deadly mistake number five is what I would classify as swapping. And this is uh, something that the OIG and CMS have looked at. You can't intend to enter into an arrangement in order to encourage the referrals of Medicare patients. So you can't go to a physician group by way of example and and establish a value-based arrangement, but either through bad emails, discussions uh, between executives and physicians, everyone says, yes, we're entering this value-based arrangement and the arrangement is intended to meet a value-based purpose as defined, but one of the other purposes is we want to encourage further referrals by the physicians who are participants of Medicare or Medicaid patients. So if that is there, then that can be inferred as to be one of the inappropriate purposes, you know, again, swapping the value-based arrangement in order to increase referrals, uh, then that's also another deadly mistake. And deadly mistake number six is patient choice. Uh, Throughout the safe harbor, as well as the exception under the Stark Law, it is clear that the participants or this patient population is defined must have patient choice. And so uh, we can't just refer directly into the hospital by way of example uh, because you are a participant in a value-based enterprise or value-based arrangement. So you must give patient choice. So say this conversely, just like the Medicare conditions of participation, if you deny patient choice, then that would be a violation under the exception, and therefore you would not meet 
the requirements under this exception. And I guess lastly, and I, I didn't really define this as a deadly mistake, and I guess it is a deadly mistake, so I'll just say this is the, the seventh uh, deadly mistake here, is record maintenance. So the value-based enterprise under the exception uh, is required to maintain records related to the performance of the value-based enterprise, you know, basically meeting the criteria under a value-based purpose for at least six years, focusing in on the methodology for determining the amount of compensation paid and the application of that compensation to the achievement of the purposes of the value-based arrangement. So record maintenance is a fairly standard requirement under a lot of the exceptions under the Stark Law. So it's not surprising that the record maintenance is also a requirement under the value-based arrangement exception under the Stark Law. So you just have to make sure that through the ordinary deletion of records that you do not delete records that are part of the arrangement for at least six years. Now, they don't go back and say from this, you know, six years uh, from the time of the development of the arrangement. It really has to focus in on the six years to the establishment of the compensation. So you have to look at the compensation. And so the six years would start from the compensation paid that you have records that uh, you have maintained that would validate how that compensation under the value-based arrangement was determined uh, and also paid. So this brings us to the three Captain Integrity punch points for this episode of Stark Integrity. Captain Integrity punch point number one is that value-based arrangements you know, through the safe harbor and the exception, I'm going to say is a beautiful thing uh, because it allows this collaboration and integration amongst providers and under the Stark Law, I mean, between hospitals or DHS entities and referring physicians, but its strict adherence to these specific requirements uh, must be met. Captain Integrity punch point number two, and I'm going to focus here on governance, Uh, A lot of the criteria that I've talked about dealing with the mistakes that can be made under value-based arrangements focuses in on the governance oversight. So it's critically important that the governing body meet regularly, carefully review the criteria, the meeting of the value-based purposes, and if there needs to be modification of the criteria or how it is performed, then the, the governing body needs to implement changes in order to make sure that the value-based arrangement and activities stay on track. And Captain Integrity punch point number three, and then this one, I'm just going to go back to my lug nut example. Remember the lug nuts. If you do not meet any of the requirements under the value-based exception under the Stark Law, and we'll just call each of those a lug nut, and that lug nut falls out off, the wheels to your Lamborghini will fall off and the Lamborghini will not drive. And so the biggest issue there is if you do not meet the value-based requirements under the exception, then you cannot avail yourself of that exception. 
and then fair market value now raises its ugly head. Then you have to go back through and look at all the services that the physicians provided and document those services, and hopefully you can meet either the personal services arrangement exception, the fair market value exception, the employment exception, you know, and hopefully you have a written agreement that defines all the requirements under those various exceptions. But most importantly is looking at the overall activities and the hours that those physicians put in in order to, I guess, you know, provide the services to ensure that the hourly rate based upon the compensation paid still reflects fair market value. So that is a whole world that you do not want to enter into if you have a value-based arrangement. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity Punch Points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.